Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Bonus Years Podcast, where we talk about how to find hope in the hard. I'm Brooke, and I'm your host. Let's get started. Well, hello, everybody. It's Brooke from the Bonus Years, and we are here today with Denise Redeker. This is our part two episode where uh, we're going to talk about the foundation that she started, the Heartfelt Help Foundation. Um, if you missed our conversation with Denise about her own transplant experience, go back and listen to the previous episode of the podcast. Denise, we're glad you're back. Thank you so much. This has been fun and it's is really fun to be fun. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed just talking to people. So this is a really good platform for that. I love it. Me too. I want to start at your, or, your origin story here. So um, you had a heart transplant. In 2018. Okay. And then you recovered from all of the initial bodily trauma. trauma. Yep. <laughs> and what prompted you? Did you say, oh, I, I really want to start a foundation? Or did you say, I have a, you know, there's a, there's a need that I feel like I need to meet in some way? Like, what was, what was your heart behind this? When I went in for a regular uh, follow-up exam um, in 2019, I happened to walk into our social worker's office. She was retiring, and I wanted to just pop in and tell her thank you for all her help and, and wish her well on the next leg of her adventure. And when her door was open, so I walked in and happened in on a conversation about a person who was currently inpatient who might have his transplant delayed because he didn't have the funding to pay for the post-transplant housing that's required. We are required to relocate. If we don't live within 20 minutes or so of our transplant hospital, we are required to relocate for a minimum of four weeks and typically more like six to 12 weeks. Mm. Um, And that stuck with me. And I couldn't shake the idea that I could do something about it. And so within a couple of weeks, in the middle of one of the worst wildfire seasons Northern California has seen in a long time, um, I threw together a fundraiser in our backyard and we raised $12,000 in a day. Um, And that that uh, relisted that that gentleman and I worked through my hospital's own 501c3 at the time and um, we we were able to pay for his post-transplant housing in full and have some left over to pay for the next person's transplant housing cost and then um, that was in November of 2019 and that Christmas, um, sat down with my family and said, I think this is, this is a need that needs filling. And so I am, I, I think I want to try and file for 501c3 and start something like of our own. And they were fully behind it. And so I started the paperwork right after the first of the year and then COVID hit. And I thought, well, there goes that. Um, I'm never going to get a paperwork back because the government has way bigger fish to fry than processing a little tiny nonprofit application form. Um, and 
about uh, August or so of 2020, August, September of 2020, we actually got the 501c3 designation back. And I was like, whoa, I can't believe that they actually processed all of this. So we got our state designation and then hit the ground running. And um, so we uh, reached out to all of the transplant facilities in Northern California and said, here we are. And we're going to help. And we had a local artist design T-shirts and baseball caps um, and had another local artist design us a logo. And we were able to raise enough money that so far we've been able to help. We're on our 10th. We've got our 10th patient currently in post-transplant housing and our 11th is in the hospital waiting for discharge. Wow. Um, And we have just been able to facilitate housing access for people that fits their personal needs, that keeps them in the bubble that they need. Because a lot of times the old model of transplant housing has been communal housing. Yep. You get a room with a bed, maybe a TV if you're super lucky, but probably not. Um, (laughs) And if you want a snack, then you're going down to a communal kitchen with other people who, and if COVID's taught us anything, you don't know people who are outside your bubble. You don't know what precautions they're taking to keep themselves safe. Are they taking Mm -hmm. it as seriously as you are? You don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. And so you have to then put on your, all your PPE to go downstairs to make yourself a snack. And if you want to go watch a movie, you've got to go to a communal living room and go watch a movie. This model does not work for me. It doesn't, it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel like a place that feels like home to begin your recovery. Yeah. If you're beginning your recovery outside the hospital, it should feel like home. Even even just a little bit. And you shouldn't have to mask up to go make yourself a snack. So we've partnered with suite style hotels and short-term apartment leasing companies. And we provide the right kind of housing for each patient. And we secure it. We look for it. We, we secure it. We pay what, if they have insurance that will make a contribution towards post-transplant housing, we'll pay the balance. If they don't, we pay it all. Wow. And, um, And each family is different. Each family caregiver situation is different. We just had a patient go home uh, right before the holidays where um, she is in her mid to late 20s, I think, um, and on her second heart transplant. And her, because she's so young and she's not married, her caregiver was her sister and her parents. So having a one-bedroom suite-style hotel room wasn't going to work for them. So we found a two-bedroom, two-bathroom, short-term apartment that we could lease that um, fit their fit their needs as a family perfectly, gave them a kitchen that they could prepare healthy food in. Um, and, you know, we had another patient who um, was nauseated at the smell of cooking. And so we moved them into a non-kitchen-y hotel room. Um, so that they, so that the smell of things cooking just didn't constantly make him ill. Um, so we will work, we work with everybody as an individual because everybody's different. Every body is different and every 
everybody is different. Yeah. Um, and those are two different things. I mean, every, totally. everybody's <laughs> body reacts differently to medication, to smells, to everything. And then everybody's familial situation is different and who their caregiver is going to be is different. So their, their housing situation needs to be unique for them. And that's what we seek to do is to really address the needs. I talked to the patient who's currently in hospital yesterday and the relief in his voice, he's the recipient and he's the caregiver. The relief in his voice when I said, you don't have to look for a hotel. I'll find you one. Yeah. Um, was amazing and, and is why we do what we do. You're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> what you're doing is incredible. How do we, how do we make that happen everywhere else? Well, it would be, it would be lovely. And I think some, some places or some hospitals are starting to switch. I've heard, you know, like University of, I think it's University of Alabama, Birmingham, UAB, mm -hmm. I think is creating kind of a similar like apartment style situation for their transplant patients because they do so many transplants there. Um, and I, I love hearing about those things. Um, and I think one of the transplant hospitals in Texas is doing something similar. Um, here, you know, in California, real estate is so, it's such a, at a premium, both because there's not a whole lot of vacant land and because it's absurdly expensive. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my capital D dream, which don't let me be realistic about this, but my capital no. D dream is that we could meet somebody with the sufficient funding so that we could have two apartment buildings, like apartment, like with their own kitchens and everything. Um, and one would be in the South Bay near Stanford and um, Kaiser. And the other one would be in the city near CPMC and UCSF. And that that would be dedicated transplant housing dedicated. So it's not, you're not sharing it with the oncology department. Yep. You're not, it's dedicated transplant housing. Um, and everybody has the opportunity if they want to risk getting together, they can, if they want to just stay in their bubble with their people, they can. That's my capital D dream for Heartfelt Health Foundation is that we would actually have our own apartment buildings, not houses with shared kitchens and shared everything, but apartment buildings. And I still hold tight to that dream, but it's, it's certainly a long-term dream because that's multiple millions of dollars that we do not have. I don't think you should let go of your capital D dream at all. Oh, I'm not letting it go. It's just, I, I, I think am it is a worthy dream. Realistic enough to know that it is a long-term capital D dream. So everybody who's listening today, if you happen to have millions of dollars laying around, or know someone who does. <laughs> yeah, or know someone who does. You are a family member or a friend. Um, or just have a heart for transplant um, and connect with what Denise is saying. I will help you donate money. <laughs> Let me know. I will get it into the right hands. A lot of times, you know, I'll be on the trail because I love to hike. That's my, that's my passion is I love to hike. And I'll be out on the trail and we'll be chatting with someone and somehow it'll come up that I'm a transplant recipient. Maybe I'm wearing a V-neck shirt and my scar is just like completely out and proud. Mm -hmm. um, but somehow it'll come up that I'm a transplant patient. And consistently, 1,000% of the time, the response is, 
oh my gosh, I didn't know that you could do all of this. You could do this, you know, get to the top of a mountain or whatever post-transplant. And so I think we as a foundation have made a conscious choice that a lot of our fundraisers are going to be active because we want to encourage people to get out and be active, A. Um, And B, we want to keep hitting home the message that post-transplant, you can be active. And yeah, you can't it's be, not a death sentence. It's not a death sentence. It's it's a ticking time clock <laughs> because transplant is a treatment, not a cure. Correct. But it's not a death sentence and it's not it's not a I have to stay in and never do anything active again for the rest of my life. For some weird reason seems to be a common thought among people who are not associated with the transplant world. Mm-hmm. Well, people, people know about transplant, what they see in the media, which is like episodes of doctor shows that mm-hmm. are not completely accurate in how they portray everything happening because they want to wrap it up in their one hour episode, you know? And so I think that's a big part of our giving back as recipients is to say, you can be active, you can be healthy, but you, you can struggle with me- your mental health post-transplant, you can get help for it, you can have a family um, a lot of the younger transplant generation are like, okay, I'm not married yet. Is anybody going to want to marry me because I've got so much going on? <laughs> right. You know, and will I be able to have my own kids or will I need to adopt kids? Um, like those are some of the big questions and it's, it's hard, but like the outside world, they're like, oh, I didn't know you could like walk around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's. It's amazing to me how many times people have come up to me and made assumptions about what we can and cannot do. And then the things that really are our big issues are swept under the rug. And what what would you say our big issues are? I (laughs) I'm so curious. I think mental health. Mental health is the issue. I think mental health, I think, I think we all, whether we admit it or not, um, and I know people who don't, we all suffer from PTSD in some way, shape or form or another. Um, it comes out in unique and fascinating ways. Um, (laughs) At fascinating times too. At fascinating times. (laughs) Um, and is, you know, I, I never used to be claustrophobic, but being intubated three times, I am now super claustrophobic. Do not lock Mm. me into a small room. Do not make me go into a cave. My husband wants to go cave exploring, and I have shut that down. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) Um, And uh, (laughs) poor guy. Um, (laughs) And we don't have enough true peer-to-peer mentoring. I remember laying in my hospital bed, and we're not as a close touch now, but I will credit her every day for saving my life. Mm. because I had gone to a couple of the support group meetings and had just been thoroughly disappointed. There was no one my age. There was only one other woman, and she was 20 years my senior. Mm. Um, And I just felt like, and nobody was doing anything. And I was like, this isn't the life I, you aren't the life I want. Right. Um, And I went on Facebook because Instagram didn't have the search functions back then that they do now to find people. Um, 
And I looked on one of the ridiculous support group pages that was there. And I just was scrolling through and found this woman who had done a half marathon. And I was like, you, you look to be about my age. You are doing exactly what I want to be doing. You are living your best life. You've gone back to work full time. You. Hmm. I pick you. Whether or not you pick me, I pick you. You've been and chosen. I, Here are I your reached duties. out <laughs> to her on um, through Facebook Messenger and said, hey, I am laying in a hospital bed right now. I am two weeks post-transplant or three weeks at that point. I'm not even sure what I was. And um, you inspire me. Seeing that mm-hmm. post of you doing this, I said, would you be willing to mentor me for, and I don't even know that I used that word, but it was what I was wanting. Um, I basically basically said, could you be my friend? Yeah. Um, And she was in San Diego and I'm in Northern California. So I felt like we were like at least on the same coast and and in the same area. And um, so, and she just, God bless her. She just stepped up and wrote me like almost every day and said, you can do it and was an encouragement. And if I had a question about something that I needed a female perspective, like when your hair starts falling out, what do you do? What do you, what, what are we doing? She was the one who told me about cardiac rehab when my medical team didn't even mention it. Yep. Um, and cardiac rehab was a game changer for me. Um, so, you know, true peer-to-peer mentoring where you are matched age to age, gender to gender, um, is, is just invaluable and, and isn't done near enough. Um, I shouldn't have had to go find someone who was like me. Right. And that's I'm a, a grateful. I'm super grateful for social media that I was able to find someone. Yeah. That that was like me and super grateful that she was willing to just step into the thick of it with me um, and, and walk me through some of my super dark times yeah, um, and show me a light at the end of my tunnel, which was great. And so I, you know, I really want to be that for somebody else too. That's just a big passion of mine. And I'm still trying to figure out how to how to make it easier to connect. I know we have things like transplant life where we have forums and you can ask questions, but you don't have like a direct mentor there. Right. But it's still nice to be able to say, have you heard of this medication? Yeah. What were your side effects? You know? Yeah. And it's, you know, and I think social media is a lot. And I, I, I'm going to exclude Facebook from this part of my conversation. Cause I don't okay. think Facebook is as great anymore as it used to be. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I have found uh, you and I met on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have two of my, three of my biggest, like peer women transplant recipients. I have met on, I've never met in real life, but I've met mm-hmm. on Instagram. Um, one's in Paris, one's in Norway, one's in Colorado. Um, I hope to meet all of them one day, I love that. but we cheer each other on. We're all in the same general age range. Um, and we've all had our transplants within the same general period of time within six or nine months of each other, I think. And it's just, we have just developed this really great friendship. We have a zoom party 
um, super early in the morning for me, but um, works for them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we we have we we just we get together once a month and chat and share life, and it's just fantastic. Um, and you can you you can create your own space on Instagram, I think a lot easier than anywhere else and easier for sure than it used to be. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to see, I'd love to see a more intentional, like the social workers at hospitals intentionally match people. Yeah. And um, they, there's one transplant center that is in the Bay Area. Um, I will, I will name them because I think they're doing beautiful work. CPMC. Um, is in San Francisco, and they um, have a nonprofit arm of their transplant wing called Health Navigator Foundation. I think that's what it's called. Oh gosh, I love those people, and now I'm blanking on the name. But um, <laughs> but they have a because social workers actually work for this foundation too. They have actually created this intentionally matched peer to peer mentoring program. And it's the first one that I've ever heard of. I'm a part of it. Um, and and I have a mentee that is um, a hair bit older than me, but not much. And she is pre-transplant. And um, it's been great getting to know her. She's going to go into the hospital to wait for her heart soon, like any day now. Yeah. And, um, and it's great. And I think this intentional matching of people to people. Um, I think can be so beneficial. I wish I had me. <laughs> I'll bet you do too. I wish I wish I had someone like me now then. Yes. yes. Someone that could say it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. It doesn't you, you don't have to be like you can do all the things. These are the things you're going to do. You know, in the next 4 years. That's not very long. Yeah. In the next 4 years you're going to get all this done. My first four years were super productive. <laughs> I had a lot more energy then <laughs> and a lot less uh, parameters around my time. Yeah. Um, and no I COVID. Had, <laughs> and no COVID. Yeah. We weren't locked away. When I was teaching elementary school in Mississippi, we found out that there was um, a student that I taught that had had a kidney transplant. And he didn't know I had a transplant. And his mom was like, would you talk to him? Like, he, you know, he doesn't like really even understand he was a baby um, but I think it'd be a cool connection so I sat with him and I said I heard you had a kidney transplant he was like yeah and I was like did you know I had a liver transplant and his eyes got really big and he was like no and I said so if you ever have any questions like about medicine or like you know whatever your life um you can come to me and he looked at me and he said, you're the only person I've ever met with a transplant. And it just like crushed me in a oh, way that yeah. was like, we have to fix this. Mm -hmm. Like kids should not be, well, anybody, but like I'm talking to a student of mine, like kids should not be alone in this. It's, it's hard. Even yeah. if, even if you're a baby, I mean, your body holds memory, whether you remember it or not in, yeah. your, in your mind. And so... Um, that I hold on to that a lot of times when I'm thinking about reaching out to other people or sometimes I'm like, is it really worth it? And when I remember all the conversations I've had where I've been able to help somebody just by 
talking about my own situation, it's definitely worth it. It's always, it's always worth it to share your story. Um, and it that. took me a while to realize that at first I didn't want anybody to know anything because I felt like that just engendered pity. And now I realize that um, maybe some people will initially respond with pity, but sharing your story is strength and yeah. they'll see it and, and they end up seeing your strength at the end of it. Yeah. I think that's a great way to end this. Uh, sharing your story is a great way for people to see your strength. That's lovely. Oh, Denise, you're fantastic. I am so glad we connected through Instagram. Me and too. That we keep crossing paths. I love it. I'm not kidding everybody when I say you need to look at Heartfelt Help Foundation. I'll put their link in the show notes. Give us a follow on social media. We would love that. The algorithm would be would, would love us more with more followers. Absolutely. So I'll put all the information you need to know about Heartfelt Help Foundation, including how you can give. When we believe in something, we tell people about it and we show it with our actions. Volunteering, giving money, talking about it. It's great. Thank you for listening today. We're always so glad you're here. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a quick moment to subscribe, rate, and comment. Because we share good things with our friends, pass along this episode to someone you thought of today. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Bonus Years and on our website, www.thebonusyearsblog.com.